I got to tell you a little story before we get started here. Um, <laughs> this is embarrassing, but that's okay. I do that a lot. Um, three or four years ago, I don't know, the cult started their prayer meeting in their house. I don't know, maybe it's been longer than that, but uh, so Cindy was like, oh, charged up, yeah, let's go. So I was like, okay, I like prayer, so we'll go. And uh, so we went to the prayer meeting, and I was really, really bummed out. I mean, I, I, was, I was almost angry when I came home from the prayer meeting. And the reason is that I went to the prayer meeting with a preconceived idea of what a prayer meeting should look like. Because in my experience, when I went to a prayer meeting, uh, I come from a, uh, an Anabaptist tradition, and uh, kind of like Mennonites, Brethren in Christ, that kind of thing. And um, so what we did was we would get in little circles and we'd be given a list of things to pray for, like a shopping list. And we'd pray for the world, we'd pray for missions, we'd pray for people, we'd pray for broken legs, we'd pray for this, and then we'd go home. And so when we went to the cults, and they're great people, you know, they're very nice people. And, and Tim's... <laughs> And it was wonderful, but, you know, we sit down, and, and, and Tim gives a devotion, and he starts reading the Word of God to kind of get us going. I'm like, all right, that's cool. The Word of God prayer, they kind of go together. And then, um, and then we put on some music, and we start singing songs of adoration and of praise and of worship. And then he started asking us questions like, what's God like? Just, just tell God what's on your heart tonight. About, what, what are you thinking about God tonight? And this is 45 minutes later, and we haven't prayed yet. And I'm, I'm like sitting there like this. All right, what's going on? So we get through the whole thing. I don't know that we ever actually, that particular night, prayed for anything in terms of broken legs and arms and lives and relationships. I don't think we did, honestly. So we were leaving, and Cindy's like, oh, wasn't that great? That was an awesome prayer meeting. And I'm like, I ain't never going back there again. This is not prayer. This is adoration, confession, and thanksgiving and supplication. No, we didn't get to the supplication. It was just ACT. <laughs> so I didn't go for a couple of weeks. And then, I don't know, you know God kind of convicted me a little bit. And um, so I went back. And over a period of time, I was like, you know, God started doing something in me because he was like, you got to put off some of those, those preconceived ideas of what things are like. You know, this is truly what prayer is. You know, today we're going to be talking about, you know, Santa Claus. We kind of go to him with our shopping list of stuff we want. Oh, I don't have my notes. Here we go. Maybe we don't need them today. But anyway, thank you, Tim, and thank you, Cindy, for showing us and teaching us um, every week what prayer is like. And you know what? I have to tell you, we do get to the, the supplication part now. And we probably did back then. I just didn't see it. Um, we do pray for people. We sit them down on the prayer bench, and we pray God's blessing over them. We pray God's healing over them. We pray for renew. We pray for our pastors. Yeah, we do pray for stuff. So today we're talking about misconceptions about God. Uh, we're continuing our series, and um, I'd like to know, did anyone watch any of the uh, Republican National Convention this week? 
Anybody bold enough to raise your hand and say yes? Okay. Well, see, my wife and I and my daughter, Casey, we're really into theater and drama, and I thought, well, if nothing else, you know, this is going to be political drama at its best. So, um, so I thought, all right, I'll tune in. And I was actually, I was actually kind of surprised. The favorite, no, my favorite part about the whole thing, and I watched a lot of the speeches, was when Mr. Trump's adult children got up and gave their speeches. That was my favorite part. And it was because they were eloquent, they were passionate, they were well-spoken, but they all said one basic thing. The first one, Tiffany, the 22-year-old you know, college grad, I don't know what you call them these days, millennials or yuppies or I don't know. But she got up and in so many words and in so many different ways, she said, let me tell you about my father. And then she went into everything she liked about her father. And then the next night, uh, his, his middle son, Eric, got up and in so many ways and in so many words, he said, let me tell you about my father. And then his oldest son, Donald Jr., gets up the next night and he says in so many different ways and so many words, he says, let me tell you about my father. And then finally, his eldest daughter, Ivanka, gets up and guess what she says? when she's introducing him, she basically says, let me tell you about my father. And you know, as, as I was wrestling with, with what to talk about today, that, that theme just kind of kept coming back through my head. And in fact, JR, uh, a few weeks ago, about four weeks ago, he started this series uh, by talking about um, the fact that we're going to be exploring one central question, and that is, what is God like? What's he, what's he like? So then in so many ways, in so many words, in his message, J.R. said, let me tell you about my father. He's not a good, uh, good luck charm. He's not like a genie in a bottle that you conjure up when you need, when you need something. And I really like this statement that J.R. Uh, said when he opened up. He said, what if... Instead, God wanted to be your friend who didn't hand out three wishes, but gave you the immense gift of his presence all the time, every day of your life. God is the good and merciful, human befriending God. He's the good father. And then last week, two weeks ago, actually our last gathering, Pastor Doug got up, and in so many ways and in so many words, guess what he said? Let me tell you about my father. He's not an angry tyrant. He's not a guy that's up there just waiting for you to mess up. In fact, he went back to the Old Testament and used this scripture about how God is, is full of loving kindness and grace and mercy and salvation and all kinds of things. So I would encourage you, if you missed either of those two messages, go back to the website. In fact, I checked it out last night just to make sure they were there. Go to renewcommunity.org, what we do, and then teaching, and you can hear those two messages to kind of get caught up. Well, today our, our, our topic is, you know, do we sometimes look at uh, God like Santa Claus? And so as our text for our message today, we're going to use Santa's favorite song, and I think we're going to have that up on the screen. Yeah, the screen's working. Here we go. Santa Claus is coming to town. All right, now we all know this song. Now we were debating at house church the other week whether we should sing this song this morning. 
So since this is a democracy, we're going to take a vote, all right? And we're in the election cycle, all right? So if you would like to sing this song this morning, I would like you to raise your hand, all right? Wow, that's... <clears throat> All right, if you would not like to sing the song this morning, I know JR doesn't want to, so you can keep your hand in. Raise your hand, all right? Oh, you do not. I am so bummed that we live in a democracy because I wanted to sing. All right, well, we're just gonna read it then. You better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why, because Santa's coming. All right? <laughs> He's making a list, he's checking it twice, he's gonna find out he's naughty and nice. You better watch out, because Santa's coming to town, right? And then what's the next one? He sees you when you're sleeping. Santa's all knowing, isn't he? He knows when you're awake, he knows if you've been bad or good, so be good, just for goodness sake. Now, is this your perception of God? Now, as adults, you know, mature adults, you know, knowledge adults, we might say, now we don't think of God as Santa Claus. That's kid stuff. But you know, do our, do our attitudes and our actions and the things we say and do, do they betray us sometimes? You know, do we sometimes think, well, you know, when I don't need God, when I don't need something, when I don't need stuff, I don't even really think of them. But when I do need something, you know, a couple times a year, maybe that's when I, uh, I put on a happy face and I kind of pretend I've been more nice than naughty and I'm trying to earn God's favor, trying to earn the right to get stuff from him, make myself look good. Well, let me tell you about my father. First of all, God, our father, does know everything. So in that respect, there are some similarities. He does know everything. In Psalm 147, uh, verse 4, he says this. It says, he determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. We can't even understand what that means. How can, you, how can your understanding have no limit? It's just amazing. He already knows that you and I have been naughty. Now he already knows that. And he already knows that we've been nice. He knows all of that. But is this all he cares about is our behavior? Is it just a matter of, of our goodness? And that's all he cares about? Is that you're good? Well, if that's all he cared about, is that us you know, behaving in certain ways? He would have created us like robots, wouldn't he? You know, he would have wound us up with a little spring, you know, programmed us to bow and kneel and pray and go through ACTS with Tim and Cindy twice, you know, once a week. And you know, if that's all it was, then he would have programmed us to do that. So there's got to be more to it. And to understand this, I think we have to understand another attribute of God. You know, God has all these different attributes, things that make him who he is. One of them is the fact that he's all-knowing. But another attribute is that he's self-sufficient. And what that means is he doesn't need us. I hate to break the news to you, he doesn't need us. He doesn't need anything to be complete, to be whole, to be everything that he is. He just is. He, he just is. He's totally complete and sufficient. He's not lacking in any way. And yet he created us to be in relationship with him. It's somewhat one of these things that's hard to understand. So let me quote this guy. Uh, 
His name is Bruce Ware. He's a professor of Christian theology at Southern Seminary in Kentucky. He really says it better than I can. He said that God's purpose in creating and redeeming us, that's after we sinned, he redeemed us through Jesus, is not that we might fill some lack in him, but that he might fill us up with himself. He made us empty to be filled with his fullness. He made us thirsty to drink of the water of life, weak to receive his strength, foolish to be instructed and corrected by his wisdom. Isn't that interesting? Every single shortcoming that we have is a conduit for God to manifest himself in our lives. It's it's mind-boggling. In his love, he longs to give, to share the bounty. He wants us to experience in finite measure, just a little bit, this side of heaven, the fullness of joy and blessing that he knows infinitely, all to redound to the praise and glory of his name, the giver and provider of the good we enjoy. I'm still trying to wrap my head about around that. God created us to pour himself into us, to give us life, to give us his joy, to give us his peace, to give us his happiness, all of these things, to be in fellowship with him, to love us. And you see, God's love is different than our love. Our love, even at its best, is sometimes kind of self-seeking, self-serving. You know, we love the things that give us pleasure. We love the things that make us feel good. We love the people that we like. And, you know, somebody rubs us the wrong way. It's, oh, I don't love you anymore. You know, I'm only going to love you if you love me. You know, that kind of thing. But let me tell you about my father. You know, his love is different. He says, I love you because I created you in my image and I want you to be like me. He just loves us for who we are. He's imparted himself to us. He wants to fill us completely with himself. And you see, you don't have to pretend to be nice. You don't have to put on the happy face. I think that was from a musical or something. Bye bye birdie, I think. Put on a happy face, all right? We don't have to do that with God. He already knows that. We don't have to pretend to be nice. In 1 John 4, 19, it says this. It says that we love, we love God and we love each other because he first loved us. You see, God is the initiator of everything. He created us, he loved us, he he gave us physical life, he gave us spiritual life. He's the initiator of it all. He pursues us, he comes after us. And that's why we love in return is because he started it all. There's another misconception about God, uh, and that like Santa, he only cares for the good people. God really only cares about the good people. He doesn't care about the bad ones. And, you know, we may have thought this. It's like, well, good people get gifts. If I'm good, I get stuff. And bad people get coal, or they get nothing. All right? That's sometimes how we think. But let me tell you something about God the Father. It's really not that way. In Proverbs 15, 3, it says this, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. 
Now, if you have a Santa Claus mentality, you might look at that and say, see, he's looking over to see who's naughty and nice. He's looking over the wicked and the good. And if you're wicked, you're going to get it. Okay, that's kind of the Santa Claus mentality. But I think the writer of Proverbs was saying not so much that. I think he was saying because of the other attributes of God, his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his his compassion, he's watching over everybody. His desire is that none would perish. He's looking over everybody to, to bless them and to care for them and provide for them. There's another scripture that, in fact, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. He said that he, God, causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's the naughty and the nice. You see, God, and, you know, if you're a farmer, you basically want two things. You want rain and you want sun because those two things are what give life. They cause your, your crops to grow. So God... In his mercy, he extends his mercy and kindness to everyone at one level. He cares for and looks out for everyone. Now, another truth is that if God only cared about good people, then none of us would be here today. Because what Paul says in Romans, Romans 3.23, very popular verse, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us were born sinful, despite what we'd like to think. Look, there's a beautiful little baby right there. I'm sorry, but a baby's not perfect. You know, we're born in our sinful condition. And it's not something we have to learn. We've all fallen short. You, me, everyone. But, I'm so glad Paul doesn't stop there because he continues the verse by saying this. All are made acceptable to God by his grace through the payment for our sin that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. That isn't, think about that. God just sort of overlooked some sins for a while because he knew the Redeemer was coming. And he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. That was Paul's time. That was with Jesus coming. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Sounds like a lot of stuff in there, doesn't it? But it's basically the whole entire word of God, the whole Bible in a nutshell. We sinned. We messed up. God was faithful. He gave us a way out. It was through the the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and all who put their faith in him and their trust and their hope will have eternal life. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? So let me tell you something else about my father. He loves you just the way you are. And we've all heard that before. But you know what I like to say? Because I think this is more biblically accurate. He loves you just the way you are But he loves you so much, he won't leave you the way you are. When you put your faith and your trust in him, he turns you into a new creation. Now let's discuss another uh, misconception about God. And that is like Santa, you don't really know where you stand with him. You can't really know where you stand with God. Now think about this. Let me ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hands and vote, but... 
Um, when is it that you understand whether you've been nice enough or, or too naughty for Santa? Like, when, when do you understand where you are in relationship with Santa, if you've been pleasing to him or not? At what point? Christmas morning, when you wake up Christmas morning. Think about that. You go through, what, 364 days of the year in just utter despair because you don't know where you stand with Santa until you wake up Christmas morning. It's true. Am I going to get coal? Am I going to get a present? Is there going to be an empty space there under the tree? Is my brother or sister going to have lots of stuff because they were nicer than I was? You know, we've got all this stuff running through our heads. But let me tell you something about my father. It's not that way with him. You can, you can understand and be sure of your relationship with God through Jesus right now, all 365 days of the year. It's an amazing, amazing thing. You don't have to wait until you die to go to be with him to see whether he liked you enough or not, okay? It's not like Santa. There's a, a piece of scripture here that's often um, puzzled me in some ways. And uh, it's in 2 Corinthians. It says this. This is Paul talking against the Corinthians. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Now, I've, the reason that I've always been a little kind of apprehensive about this is because I'm a linear guy. I, I like things black and white. So I expected Paul in the next verse to say, okay, here's the test. If you do one, two, three, four, and five, you're good. But he didn't. If you read the rest of that, it, it doesn't really do that. I'm like, come on, Paul. You're usually pretty good about this stuff. So really for years, I've been thinking about this whole concept of a test. How do we test ourselves to see if we really have like he says here, Christ Jesus in you. Well, I actually came across an answer this week. And it's in 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. This is really, really cool. Check this out. It says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. All right, that's one of the attributes of God that we keep talking about. All these things that God is. He's loving, patient, kind, all these things. God is love. All right, so remember that. And then it says, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And then the Bible talks about this in other places too. If God is love and God's in us and we're in God, then guess what? We're going to be loving too. All right, so think about that. And then the writer of John says, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. This is the test. And then there's a colon in the translation that I was reading. There's a colon after that it says, this is how you can have confidence on the day of judgment, colon. Here's the answer. That in this life, in this world, we are like Jesus. In this world, in this life, we are like Jesus. Isn't that amazing? So we pass the test, as Paul say, if we are found to be like 
Jesus. And what was Jesus? Jesus was God incarnate. Jesus was one with God. God is love. Jesus was love. It's all the same package. What was Jesus like? Well, he loved God the Father with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his mind, all of his strength. That's the great commandment, right? To love God with everything. That's what Jesus did. What else was Jesus like? He loved people. He not only loved God, he loved people all the time. He healed them. He dined with sinners. He saved them. He did all kinds of things. He served God the Father, and he served people out of love for them. You see this recurring theme of love? doesn't matter what Jesus was doing. His core motivation was love. It wasn't to get something from the Father. It wasn't to get a, a warm, fuzzy feeling. It wasn't to get brownie points. It wasn't to get anything other than knowing that he was pleasing his Father. And Jesus also lived in obedience to God's word, out of love for God the Father. He only ever did what he saw the Father doing, and that's what he did on this earth, because he wanted to be obedient to the Father because of his love for God. Now, I'm a, I, I like motorcycles. I, I really love, in fact, I love motorcycles, okay? Um, probably not the same way I love my wife, or um, she's like, wow, that's good. Uh, or the way I love God, or the way I love you, but I love motorcycles. And see, that's, that's me and my biker outfit. I look like a real biker, right? Um, but I love motorcycles. And, one of the, and I just love everything about them. I love the wind in my hair, I like the noise, I like the feeling of power, you know, all that good stuff, it's very cool. But there's something else I like about motorcycles, and that's, the biker wave, okay? Is there a next picture? See the biker wave? Did you ever see that? Like if you're driving behind a motorcycle and another biker comes the other way, they do this little put the hand out thing or they'll do a peace sign sometimes or sometimes it's just like a fist down. If you have a Harley, I guess you do a fist. I don't know. Um, but they do this little biker wave. And I think that's pretty cool. So I do that. If people do that to me, I always wave back to them. I think it's kind of cool. Now, why do we do that? Well, it's because when I'm riding my bike and some guy sees me coming down the road and he's on the bike, he only knows one thing about me. One thing. The only thing he knows about me is that I love motorcycles. He doesn't know if I'm male or female, black or white or anything else. All he knows is that I love motorcycles. And that's all I know about him. So when he sticks his hand out to greet me, I greet him back. It's because we're part of the family. We're bikers, all right? And in fact, I've had a couple times where you, know, you can't really see the person until they're close to you, and I've had some scary looking dudes give me the biker, you know, wave. I mean, big tattoos, do-rags, I mean, chains. And this guy's like waving me down like I'm his brother. I'm like, I don't know if I want to be associated with you. <laughs> but, you know, that's kind of how it is with God. You know, we're talking about passing the test here. And, it, it, you know, all earthly illustrations break down at some point. But this is, it's kind of like how it is with God. You see, there is going to be a judgment day someday. 
But we don't have to worry about this. The, the verse that we just read up there, it says that we can have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like Jesus. So someday we're going to go to be with the Lord and we're going to meet our maker and we're going to meet God. And, you know, we got my brother John here. So John's going to come to meet the Lord someday. And God's going to say, John, here's my son, Jesus. He's kind, he's good, he's gracious, he's merciful, he loves me. And then he's going to look at John and say, John, by the testimony of your own actions, your life in this world, I can see that you love me. I can see that you love my son, Jesus. You're full of Jesus. You're full of his grace and his mercy and his kindness and his compassion. Welcome. Welcome. Is there anything else to say? The master will say, enjoy being with me forever. So I have to ask you, if you were to take this test right now, as Paul says, take the test. And as it says in John, this is how we know that we can have confidence in our salvation, that we look like Jesus. Take the test. Do you love God the Father with all your heart and with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength? Do you love people? Do you love unlovable people? It's easy for me to love Cindy because she's awesome. But do I love unlovable people? Do you live in obedience to God's word out of love for him, not out of anything you want to get, but just because you love him, just for who he is? You see, it's not prideful to want to be like Jesus. You might be thinking, boy, that's pretty arrogant to think that I can be like Jesus. There's only one Jesus. Yeah, that's true. But God's word commands us to be like him. Jesus commands us to be like him. It's not prideful. It's preferable. It's desirable. It's admirable. It's obedience to him and to his word. It's what he wants. It's God's desire for you and I to become more like him every day. I used to uh, go to a Pentecostal church for a few years, and right about there, somebody would have shouted, Amen. Amen. All right, thank you. <laughs> Let me tell you something else about my father. And this is something we don't like to talk about. Um, you know how Santa makes a list and he checks it twice? Well, the reality is God does have lists. He's got two lists. And they're both found side by side in Revelation chapter 20. It says this. It says, Then I saw a great white throne. This is the end of the story. Okay? God did a great job in giving us his word. Sometimes I think it's too much of his word. It's just a lot to absorb. But if you jump to the end of the story, Revelation 20... This is what he says. He says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. That's the first list. There's books that were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
That's another list. That's list number two, the book of life. Let's see what he has to say about that. He says, the dead were judged according to what they had done is recorded in the books. So the first set of books are everything that we've done. The sea gave up the dead and were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And you see, this is something I, I believe Doug touched on the other day, uh, last week, last gathering, that God has all these different attributes. And one of those attributes is justice. God is perfectly just. And the great thing about God is he keeps everything in balance. He's loving, he's kind, he's faithful, he's good, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's just. And somehow, well, I know how because he's God, he can do all of that and be correct and good and loving in all of that. Again, it's something we don't really understand. But this, this concept of justice, now even in a court of law, in a, in a human court of law, let's say you did something really, really terrible, or you were accused of doing something really terrible, okay? And you went into the, the court, and you sat down before the judge, and you had your attorney next to you, you had the prosecution next to you. The judge comes in to start the proceedings, he wraps his gavel, and he points at you and says, you're guilty, you're sentenced to death. You'd say, what? I didn't have a chance. I, I, I didn't get a chance to present my case. There was no evidence. You can't do that. That's not fair. That's not just. And you know, you'd be perfectly right in saying that. That's why we have a justice system. It's not always just. It's not always accurate. It's not always good. But that's the concept. But you see, if God did not have these lists, if God just made arbitrary decisions, he wouldn't be just. And I think that's what it's saying here in Revelation. In, uh, yeah, in Revelation. In fact, Jesus said this. If you don't believe Revelation, let's believe Je uh, Jesus. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 35, he says this. He says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. An evil man brings evil things out of evil stored up in him. But I tell you, everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. You see, folks, again, it's not our words that save us. We can't earn Santa's favor. We can't earn God's favor just by being naughty or nice. It's not the stuff that we do that saves us. But it is but who we are on this earth and what we do and what we think and what we feel and how we express the love of God flowing through us or how we don't is going to play a big part comes judgment day. It's going to show that God's judgments are true and are just. The things that we do will show that. Now let me tell you something else about my father. He's got a second list, okay? It's not... It's not bad news. He's got a second list. And that second list is the Lamb's Book of Life. And those whose names are written in that book will spend eternity with him. Will spend an eternity with him. Now, how do we get on that list? By being naughty or nice, by going to church, by going to confirmation class, 
by being baptized, by whatever. You know, we have all these ideas of how we become right with God. Well, here's another uh, piece of scripture. <clears throat> Again, the Apostle Paul, and this time he does kind of tie it all together for me, which I really appreciate, Paul. In Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, verses 8 and 9, he says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The Bible is very clear that we have to come to God. In fact, Jesus said it when he started his ministry. He said, you know, you're walking this way. You're walking away from me. You need to repent and turn around and start going my way. It's an action word. Repentance is an action word. And then he said, you have to have faith. And faith is an action word. Faith is not a, a thought process, primarily. Faith is an action word. And then in Hebrews, they listed all these things people did by faith. Faith is an action. We repent, which is an action. We start walking towards Jesus with an action. And then we live for him, empowered by him and his Holy Spirit every day of our life. That's all action. That's all stuff. But that's kind of how it works. We have faith. It's only by faith and the grace of God. Remember I said he pursues us and, and he initiates everything? Well, he initiates that too. He gives us the, the ability to accept him through faith. And then Paul goes on to say in the very next verse, in some ways might even sound like a little bit of a conflict. He says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now who's the us? Who's the we? What's the context here? He's talking to Ephesian Christians. He's talking to Christians. So he said, if you have put your faith in, in God, you've come to him and you've accepted, you've accepted Christ through faith, well, guess what? God has work for you to do. You're his creation. In fact, you're a new creation. You are his handiwork. There's stuff there's, that he calls them good works. And it just gets back to being who Jesus is. He's loving, he's kind, he's compassionate. And if we're following him, guess what our good works are going to look like? We're going to look like loving people, kind people, compassionate people, faithful people, people who serve God, people who serve man, people who fix people's houses, people who babysit for their neighbors so they can go out on a date, people who fill in the blank. That's what we're going to look like. You know, it's, um, you know, like I said, there's almost too much stuff in the Bible, but this really is the place to go to see what our Father looks like, isn't it? And um, there really was a Saint Nick. I, I mean, I guess I knew this, but I, I kind of did a little bit of research on him. And uh, there really was a guy, Nicholas, and he was born in AD 270 or thereabouts, somewhere in the late 200s. That was a long time ago. That was, I don't know, 1,700 years ago? It's a long time. But he lived in Turkey, in what is modern-day Turkey, along the coast. And uh, he was actually raised by Christian parents. He was in a Christian family. His mom and dad taught him the faith, taught him about Jesus, taught him about everything that we just learned today about loving God and serving God. And his parents passed away. I don't know how, but they both died when he was still a fairly young man. 
But he had a faith instilled within him from them where he decided to take his life and actually do what Jesus said. So he took his whole inheritance that he received from his parents and he said, I'm going to sell all my possessions and I'm going to give the money to the poor. So he took his money and he just started doing that. He started feeding people, clothing people, ministering to the poor, ministering to the needy. He kind of dedicated his life to doing that. And within the church, they made him a bishop. So he was Bishop Nicholas. And he became, became known throughout the land for his generosity. He would help sailors on ships. He would, you know, do all kinds of things. So there really was a St. Nicholas. And I believe that, you know, someday when St. Nicholas goes before the judgment seat of God, I believe that God's going to look at him. He's going to look at Jesus. And he's going to look at St. Nicholas and say, you know what? I can tell that you've had faith. I can tell that you've accepted the grace and the mercy that I extended to you when you were a child. You had a life that served me because you loved me, not because you got paid for it or because you earned some favor or because you got some earthly reward. I can see that you just love me. Welcome into my kingdom. And I think that's the, the question that I have for myself and I have for all of us today, is when we think of our Father, and we think of what our father's like. And then when we think of ourselves and when we examine ourselves, is our relationship with God based on things kind of like our relationship with Santa? A list of stuff that we hope to get from him. We only go visit him once or twice a year. We're more concerned about being naughty and nice than we are being in love with Jesus. Do we live in fear? most of our lives because we don't know what it's going to be like when we wake up one day. Doesn't have to be that way. Uh, we're going to have, uh, during communion, a little bit later in our service, there's going to be some people up here uh, that would like to pray with you. And if anything that you've heard this morning in the message or the uh, opening prayer or the music or anything just resonates with your spirit and you want to come up and talk to somebody about it please do that come up and just you know people will be praying with you and be praying for you if you're not sure of your faith if you're not sure of your salvation if you have those doubts and feels come on up and pray with someone talk to me or jr or house church leader or tim and cindy be happy to talk to you about that. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you so much for your word today. We thank you for this opportunity we have to, to come before you and sing your praises in song. We thank you that we can come in prayer to you this morning, giving you adoration and confessing and thanksgiving and all these different elements of, of worship and praise to you. And it's just a beautiful thing. Lord God, I just pray that as we continue this series, that you would show us more and more clearly who you are, that you're the loving Father. You care about us. You love us. You want everyone to be in your presence. You want everyone to be filled with your Holy Spirit. You want everyone to experience your joy, your peace. 
Lord, help us to not leave here today without experiencing that. Amen.